Well, hello. hello. You thought you got rid of me. <laughs> uh, man, it's good to be here. I'll just answer this question right at the start because so many of you have been asking between last night and this morning, yes, I missed you. <laughs> okay, let's just get it out of the way, the mushy stuff. It's great to be back with you. Uh, thrilled that we got to join you on this weekend. And it doesn't feel that weird, uh, to be honest with you, to be up here on this stage on this particular weekend. Because for many, many years, Greg and I worked together, and uh, he would be prepping kind of Christmas Eve service. And then I knew sort of whatever Sunday followed, sometimes it was Christmas Day, sometimes it was 27, 28, in this case it's 30, 31, I was most likely the guy who was going to jump into that message. And so it feels very normal for me to be here uh, doing this again with you. And in churches like ours, it's a weird weekend because it kind of sits between these two different times, doesn't it? You, you have this buildup of Advent, you're telling the story, it, it culminates, at least in our tradition, it tends to culminate in Christmas Eve, and then you have this great thing, and then you go, well, there's this other week still left in the year somewhere. But we're not quite in January yet, and so you live in this land of in-between. And so as a guy who's done kind of this message in a number of different ways over the years, I always felt like it was sort of a free shot. You kind of got to do whatever you wanted, and so that was always the case, but now I'm not employed here, so it's a real free shot. <laughs> and the worst thing is you just don't invite me back, and so huh, let's see how it goes. Um, as I started talking to Greg about coming on this weekend, very quickly, your mind starts to go, what would I say to my friends who I've been gone you know, for a little time from, and, and what, what would be the thing to talk about? So thinking about that, praying about that, and very quickly, this idea of, of something new. That's what we're going to talk about, something new. And there's two main reasons why I think we should talk about something new. The first is, my family has been living something new for the last six months. We had that very bizarre experience where you put all of your earthly possessions into a truck with some guy who didn't look like he was old enough to drive the truck, and he drives away with your possessions, and you go, I wonder what that will look like if the truck tips over at some point in the journey. We're in a new town, in a new province. I'm working a new job. My kids are at a new school. We're worshiping in a different congregation, and, and we're trying to figure out maybe we should probably try and make some new friends. We're living a whole lot of new if you've been in this season before, you know all that comes with it. And so to talk about something new, in some ways I felt like, well, our family's experienced more new in the last six months than we have in the 10 years prior to that. And so maybe I might have something to offer you on this idea of new. But then there's the other reason why we should talk about something new. It's New Year's Eve, right? You're going to wish somebody Happy New Year's. This has been happening to me already. People are saying Happy uh, New Year's to you. You're going to probably say this at some point. Maybe you'll get together with family and friends tonight, and you'll wish someone Happy New Year's. If you've got younger kids like we do and our friends have younger kids, we're going to all get them together. We're going to find some sort of countdown that we will play at 930. Eight, seven, we'll all be smiling. Six, five, happy new year. We're starting 2024 with a lie. <laughs> it's new year somewhere. <laughs> we're in this time of year. And because we're in this time of year, everyone talks about this, right? Forbes Health says the three main New Year's resolutions are this. Physical health is one, finances is two, and mental health is three. We have this notion that, that we're not all that we could be, that there's areas of our lives that we probably ought to develop and lean into. And so we go, well, we really should think about this idea of new. And so we try to lean into it. And we do this in all sorts of different areas. But you've lived long enough, as have I at this point, to know that new is really hard. 
It doesn't come as easy as we would hope. It doesn't always materialize in the way that we would think. The, the stats people tell us that 1% of people that make New Year's resolutions will continue to follow those a year later. That is your very encouraging message this morning for those of you who are thinking about making that New Year's resolution. But we do. We think, you know, we probably should be in better physical health. And as the studies continue to show us, being in better physical health means our mental health will also be better. And so we sign up for the gym, we kind of poke fun at it, but then all of a sudden it's March and the only thing going to the gym is your payments. <laughs> and you go, well, that maybe didn't materialize the way we would have hoped. In your finances, you think, man, we got to get it under control in 2024. And so you watch all the Dave Ramsey videos, uh, you find your YouTuber of choice, you find some new strategies, maybe you even read a book, and then all of a sudden you've got the plan, but, but then your credit card bill comes from Christmas. Uh, this week, I saw a stat that said 25% of Americans were still paying off last Christmas. And that same group said that they're going to spend more this year than they did last year. We are chronically overextended. And so it becomes really hard, and we realize that maybe new in my finances doesn't come as easily as I hoped it would. How about your relationships? Maybe this is the year you actually sign up for that marriage retreat. Because your most important human relationship is often the one that is chronically ignored. And you just simply, it just other things get in the way. And so you say to yourself, okay, this is the year. This is the year. We're going to go to the marriage retreat. We're going to see a Christian counselor. We're, we're going to actually spend some time together and work on the issues in our marriage. And then February, March shows up and the kids' hockey is back in. And work needs you just to lean in a little more. And you've got aging parents, and you love to serve them and walk with them, but it's absorbing all of your time, and you feel exhausted. And before you know it, your marriage is getting worse, not better. Because we realize this, don't we? That new doesn't always materialize in the way that we hoped it would. And so I think this is our challenge. Our challenge is this. Our best intentions for new get hijacked by the realities of now. This is where we live. And we do this game every year. We come to a weekend like this. We, we have these thoughts of change, but, but we just know that it's really, really hard. If you can relate to any of this at all, well, you're in good company. Because the people of God got stuck often as well. And I'm going to show you just one place in the scriptures this morning where we see that. I'm going to take you to what I call the something new passage. If you were to look at this idea, you're going to end up in Isaiah chapter 43. And so let me begin by just reading this text for you. You can follow on the screen if you'd like. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sakes, I will send an army against Babylon, forcing the Babylonians to flee in those ships they are so proud of. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candlewick. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. The wild animals in the fields will thank me, the jackals and owls too, for giving them water in the desert. Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. I have made Israel for myself, and they will someday honor me before the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. 
The book of Isaiah, it's a, a long book, a lot of chapters there. It's considered a major prophet. Uh, when I was still here, all not that long ago, we studied the minor prophets. Those are much shorter. Isaiah, long, long, lots going on there. And the book of Isaiah really has two main themes that are presented there. The first half of the book focuses on this idea of judgment. Now, we don't really like the term judgment all that much, so let me kind of tease it out a little bit for you. It, it's also sort of known as a warning, sort of if you don't follow the ways of God, things aren't going to work out so well for you. And this happens all throughout the Old Testament. The prophets would come and they would give this message and call the people back to right relationship with God. When we think about prophets, sometimes we think about this like prophetic future kind of, kind of language. And there is some of that in the prophets, but primarily the prophets are concerned with the relationship between the people and God being in a good place. That's what they're about. And when things start to go a little sideways, the prophets would come with this message to call people back. So it's known as judgment. It's known as consequence. It's also known as warning that, that hey, we've got to figure this out because there will be consequences that are going to come from this. So that's the first half of the book. Now, the second half of the book, though, moves us towards this idea of hope, that there's always still hope in God's story. There always can be hope in your story. And it's this idea that if you kind of get back into line, you start putting these things in place the, the way you ought to know. You start worshiping your God. You stop uh, worshiping idols. You start living as a just, righteous people, not taking advantage of those around you. That if you can get this figured out, well, there's hope. Hope that you will actually position yourself to be right with God and to receive his blessing. Now, there's really this interesting dynamic that happens between these two parts of the book, because when it talks about judgment, the consequences are often enacted upon the people through other nations. And so when things go wrong for Israel, they become weak and anemic, and they make very unwise decisions, and conquering nations come from outside. But in the hope side, when, when people position themselves properly, when the nation is following God, they receive this immense blessing from God. And if you've heard me here ever, you know I refer back to this often, but the original intent in Genesis 12 is that the people are blessed to be a blessing. And so there's also this part that the other nations play, only instead of them being a consequence or a warning or an invading force, they actually become a blessed people. So what we do matters, not just for ourselves, but for those around us. Now, that's a little bit of the context of the book. What I want to do, though, is just walk this through uh, with you, what we just read. Because what I just read for you there is sort of in the middle part somewhere. Kind of mushy middle, right? It's, it's coming out of the judgment, but it's moving towards this idea of hope. And so that's what we read. Let's walk through this together. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Listen, when you're reading your Bible and God is introduced with a name or a title, you should pay attention because they're trying to tell us something here. And in this case, we're being introduced to the Lord as Redeemer. It's the one who rescues this, this saving force of God. That's how this whole section starts. We'll tuck that away for later. For your sakes, I'll send an army against Babylon, forcing the Babylonians to flee in those ships they are so proud of. Mentioned to Babylon here uh, helps us place this thing in the timeline, okay? Uh, lots of the parts of the scripture that we studied when I was still around here, uh, just the books that we chose had us a little bit later in the timeline, and so it was often the Assyrians. Those were sort of the, the enemy conquering nation. It was in that time frame. So a book like Jonah, Jonah flees to Tarshish because he's not wanting to go to Nineveh, the great terrifying city uh, of the capital of Assyria. 
Same thing with Amos, right? He's bringing this message to call people back, and, and the people are terrified because they've been continually attacked by the Assyrians. And there was two big attacks that happened, kind of really messed them up in 734 and 732 BC. And so you've had this story of this looming nation that's here. But now we see at this point, as, as uh, Isaiah's coming later in writing, that it's the Babylonians that are now going to be on the rise. The other little comment I'll make for those of you who really love to study the scriptures is that if you study the book of Isaiah, what you realize is there's some timeline stuff going on here. There's some different voices. There's some different narrators that come in here. It seems to be a gap of time at some point. And so if you were to study all of this, it sort of looks like a Christopher Nolan movie, right? It's like I'm watching Batman, but there's something to do with time. You know, it's like time element at play. That's happening here. And so this little detail helps position us into our understanding of where in the story of God's people is this happening. Okay, we keep moving. Here's another introduction. I am the Lord, your holy one, Israel's creator and king. Creator and king. Through the waters, making a dry path to the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with its, all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candlewick. If you've been in church for any reasonable length of time, you'll know that story. You'll know that story that's referred to. It's the Exodus, right? This, this very famous story. The story where the people found their identity and purpose, okay? The story where, you know, Moses is, is doing the shepherd thing, and there's a burning bush, and he goes over, and the Lord's like, hey, go rescue the people. I've heard their cry. He's like, no. He's, God's like, yes. No, let me have my brother. Okay, here we go. They go to Pharaoh. Let my people go. The people, you can let them go. No, I won't let them go. Let them go. No, let my people go. No, and then the plagues come, and then he's like, yes, and so they're like, great, and they take all the gold, and then they go away, and then the chariots come, and they're stuck between the water and the people. That's the story. <laughs> I did all of that in a very high-pitched voice just for you. <laughs> something to remember me by. Um, that's the famous story. Now, some of us, we like new things, but the people of God, they like the old things. They like the historic things. They like the ancient things. So this is the story they know that they told each other. If you read about all the celebrations and festivals and all of the things of the people of God, they were always retelling this same story again and again and again. You have to remember, at this point in history, you were born, you lived, you died, probably in the same place, among the same people. And so this idea of, of the ancient things, the history, this is where the people of God felt very comfortable. This is what we have being referred to us at this very critical point. This is a really big deal to them. But then something happens. Verse 18, forget all that. Well, they never forgot all that. We know this from history. They would continue to tell the story. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. This is a very dramatic thing to be told to the people of God who have found their identity, purpose, and meaning in this story. Then something crazy happens. The text says this. I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? That's a terrifying line in the scriptures because what it seems to be suggesting is that God could be doing something new in your life and you may not even know it. You may not even see it. It happened to the people of God. It certainly could happen to us. 
And he talks about this new thing that's going to happen. I'll make a pathway through the wilderness. I'll create rivers in the dry wasteland. The wild animals in the fields will thank me. The jackals and owls, too, for, for giving them water in the desert. That's what he's talking about, giving them water in the desert. Yes, I'll make rivers in the dry wasteland so my children can be refreshed. I have made Israel for myself, and they will someday honor me before the whole world. You see that little nod there again. They're this in right relationship with God to be blessed so it can be in front of all the world, the nations. This is what we see from this text. Okay, um, so in my new role, um, uh, I'm an assistant district superintendent. That means you go and visit churches all the time, and you preach on Sunday, and then you try and fix all their problems. And you show up to the church, and they say, you'll never guess what's going on. And then they tell you, and, and then I tell them some things, and they think, man, this guy's like a prophet. And I go, no, you just have all the same problems as everyone else. I've <laughs> done this a few times now. Um, but you travel around, and, you, and you, you know, install new pastors, and you work with boards, you do strategy, you do all this sort of stuff. But another thing in this role is that uh, you're, you're at lots of different churches, and then you always go to important events, okay? You go to important events, and I show up at important events now. This is what I do. And so I was at one of these very important events, which was in Saskatoon. Uh, our Alliance churches there were hosting a missions conference. And if you've been uh, in the Alliance church for some time, you will remember the days of, of the missions conference. Friday night youth rallies, Saturday morning brunch with seminars. Then you had a, a banquet in the evening, and we ate Nigerian food, and it was amazing. And then you have the big rally, and then Sunday morning, I and then a bunch of my uh, international workers that are kind of uh, on home working with me these days, uh, we all went out and covered Sunday morning services. But without a doubt, the most boring part of that whole experience is the Saturday morning, okay? Missions seminars. It's boring. And I can say that because I was speaking there. I wasn't the only one speaking there, but it was boring. And the faithful come to this event. You come in, it's the lowest attended event because, I mean, who's doing this on a Saturday morning? And the people come in, and there's lots of gray hair, and there's a lot of no hair, but there's not a lot of colored hair, okay? <laughs> and so you show up, and you look around, you're like, these are the faithful. These are the people who've been giving for years. These are the lead pastors. These are the missions committees. These are former missionaries. And then there's all the people who are kind of in the pipeline to go because they're like, if I'm going to get funded, I should probably come to the boring parts. And so they do. I was doing one of these seminars. Uh, I was doing a seminar on uh, my work I've been doing to, to put a theological framework to church planting in Canada as it relates to how we do this internationally in foreign missions. Like I said, kind of boring, okay? And uh, as I'm doing this, a, a young family walks in. It's like a mom and dad, and they have two kids with them, and the first thing I thought was, those kids must be grounded. <laughs> or their parents hate them. <laughs> No way you're coming on Saturday morning missions, you know, seminar if things were going well at home, okay? So these four kids come in there, and the, and the daughter, she's like 13 or 14, something like that. And her younger brother's like 11, 12, you know, kind of that age. And they sat there in the line of the faithful, and, and we began. And as part of all that I present over this kind of 45-minute, 50-minute thing, I talked about this text. Uh, and I, wa I walked through it with them. I read it to them. And then to this very wise group of people, I said... What are we to learn from this? What is God trying to say to us in this text? And immediately the young man's hand shoots up. And I, do you need to use the washroom? <laughs> you can just go, you know? He says, what this text shows us is that God's going to deliver his people by doing the exact opposite miracle that he did before. And the whole room goes silent. 
there's uh, three lead pastors that were sitting there. They're looking at this guy. Then they all look at me, and I look at him, and no one says anything because he's right. The whole story of, of the, the exodus and this going, what was the problem? The people are fleeing Egypt. They get to a spot where there's too much water. So what did they need? They needed dry land. And then this text tells us that God's going to do something new. And what's the something new that he's going to do? He's going to give them water where there's too much dry land. And even the creation will rejoice. And so we gathered the faithful people in the room, and we laid our hands on this young man and ordained him on the spot. <laughs> we didn't do that. I'm pretty sure I would have got fired for that. But might have been worth it. Uh, actually, I did, I did say to the kid, I was like, listen, man, uh, all the points I have to give, I give them to you. Like, I just give, you, just, you did a really great thing here this morning, and we cheered him on. That's what's going on here. There's this opposite movement of God, but both ways, it creates this redemption. Our creative God. He's a creative God. And so what I think this text helps us as I've been thinking about this is it helps us see two harmful mindsets that we live with. The first is this, is that the people became comfortable living somebody else's spiritual experience. See, the people of God, they became so familiar with that story. They were so comfortable with it. They told it to each other. They found their identity and purpose in it, but they didn't experience it for themselves. And so it's a different experience. It's one thing for us to tell the story about being trapped between uh, a whole bunch of water and, and Pharaoh's army in chariots, okay? It's a nice story for us to talk about and try to put ourselves in it, but you, you and I don't experience the terror of that moment as you gather your children around you to shield them from what they are assuming is coming. But the people knew the story. They were so familiar with it, so they told it. But, but it's no good substitute for their own spiritual experience. And I think you and I, we can do this in our own lives as well. When I talk to people and they ask you, you know, hi, and then they say, what do you do? It's like every pastor's nightmare. What do you do? I'm a pastor. And then you wait for them to run. Still here, okay, well. Often in that little interaction, what comes very quickly after is this. Oh, my grandma's really religious. She goes to church. Oh, my, my friend. I think she goes to one of those churches. She's a good person. I do a lot of premarital, you, you visit with couples, and, and oftentimes one of them will say, well, the Jesus thing is more their thing. I'm supportive, I'm not against it, but, but it's kind of more their thing, you know. There is no substitute for an authentic relationship with Jesus. And here's the good news for some of you this morning is that you can just let go of the fact that your idea of what that needs to look like has to be the same as someone else's because it doesn't. And if you're here because you love someone who, who loves Jesus and you're like, it's a holiday, man. Like, they brought me to church here. I'm, I'm here. I have, to, I have to be a part of this. Let me just talk to you for one second and say this. It's a great place to start. Because the life of someone following Jesus, actually being a witness to you to, to get you to come here and be a part of here is amazing. But I just want to tell you this, that I am confident that God wants to do something new in your life in 2024. And it will not look the way you expect. It will not look like the way you've seen it in somebody else. But it is for you. And you should go after it this year. The other harmful mindset is previous, religi previous religious experience becomes the spiritual limiter. 
previous spiritual experience becomes the spiritual limiter. This story of the Exodus put God into a box for the people of Israel. This is, this is how he has to work. This is how he has to move. And then you think about that, and, and I don't know that anybody would have said that because you think, well, what does that mean, that God can only do a miracle if we're trapped between chariots and water? Like, it's, it seems kind of ridiculous when you play it out. But, but we have a way of doing this, of, of trying to wrap our minds around a mysterious God, and so we, we try to put these terms and these limits on it. But here's what you just need to know as a human being, if you haven't figured this out yet. We are expert idol makers. We can take anything good, and we can turn an idol into it. And the people of God took this very good experience and this very well-known story and made an idol out of it. One Isaiah scholar, uh, his name is uh, John Oswald, he says it this way, I like this quote, he says, For Israel, the glorious saving events of the past, with all their details, had become a straitjacket into which every other act of God was forced. As a result the Israelites were frequently unable to recognize God's new actions when they came. That image of putting God in a straitjacket, assuming he can only do things a certain way. And this text reminds us we have a creative God who will move in new ways, and it doesn't need to look anything like it did before. God may want to do something new in your life, but you might be completely oblivious to it. You know the cliche, Lord, send me a sign, right? What if? What if the problem wasn't the sign? What if the problem was perceiving the sign? For 14 years, this place was a massive part of my life. And I loved almost every moment of it, okay? I loved greeting you, so many of you, as I did this morning out in the lobby, yelling at you, hugging you, stealing your children. I give them back. And then I would say hi and catch up on life, and we go, and then I, I come in here and I walk along that back wall, as I always do, and then I come down this side, as I did this morning, and then I pester all of those people over there. The quality of worship from this section has significantly increased since I've been gone. Because <laughs> I just walk down, how's it going? Hey, what's happening? You're hugging people. And then I finally come... Come to the front there, 10, I was 12 minutes late this morning. And then I would sit there and have the immense privilege to be led in worship just like we were this morning by friends, people you've walked life with for a long, long time. And then my friends and colleagues would come up here and do some version of this. Greg would do this and, and put the scriptures in front of me in a way that I hadn't thought about before and made me wrestle with it. And so what happened for 14 years, as much as I loved this place, I came there and I sat in the second or third row. And just like this morning, you're leading in worship and you get choked up and, and you can't even sing. Like when you were all singing the doxology, that was a bad moment for me in the best sense. And when it became clear that God was doing something new in my life, in the life of my family... I thought about those moments. And I began to say to God, okay, I don't think it gets better than this. Like, I don't think it can be as good as this. I don't think I'll ever experience this again. And so I did a very foolish thing, but it seemed very pious at the moment, 
which was to say, okay, Lord, I will just give this to you as a sacrifice, as an as a offering. And I know it won't be as good in whatever church we attend. And I know it won't be the same as I visit 75 churches and, and hundreds of different followers of Jesus. But, but I will give that to you in my service. Please bless me, Lord. Because I had a straitjacket on what God could do. Fast forward to the second church that I visited. Um, I visit this church. It's literally called New Life. Okay, this is what they say. Here at New Life, you know, welcome to New Life. We're glad you're here at New Life. And I'm like, I liked my old life. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I was the only one in the room. Like, I like my old life too, you know. And, and it's a church that was so different than this one. Obviously, a little, little smaller building is predominantly Filipino congregation. Um, I didn't know anybody. And so I showed up, and I walked down the side. I sat in the front row, because I had to speak. It's a two-hour service. People are dancing. They're singing songs I never heard before. I didn't know anybody. And it was a second song in, and tears just started pouring down my face. Because I felt the presence of God meet me in that moment. And I just thought, <laughs> I guess I don't have this all figured out yet. See, I thought I sacrificed what was here. And as good as it is, and as good as it was, and I'll come back every time you ask me, but, but as good as it was, God was not limited by that. I didn't need a room full of people that I knew to experience worshiping God. That has been a gift for me to learn. And so I showed up. I didn't know anybody. I worshiped. I get myself together. There was a guy filming me. That was weird. And I showed up here, and now you've got cameras everywhere. And I went up, and I preached a message, and I watched as God worked in people's lives. And I thought, okay, Lord, I still got things to learn on this. And so in this season, that's the way that we live. This happened to me. I lived with a harmful mindset because I thought that my previous experience was all there was. That there was nothing more. That God wouldn't have something new for someone like me who'd been in a place as long as I was. And suddenly I realized, ah, maybe, maybe I was living with this harmful mindset. So how about you? Have you been trying to live through somebody else's spiritual experience? It won't do. It will not do. And the moment that it gets tested, it will fail. But I believe that God has something new for you in 2024. He's creative. He's the redeemer. And he can give you the exact miracle you need at the exact time that it makes sense. Have you been living with the mindset that your previous religious experience may limit what God wants to do your life next year? And look, in my case, I give you a little story, right? In my case, it's because my experience was really good. But I'm willing to bet that if we kind of made a, a good experience and a bad experience column, there'd be more in the bad. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're listening to this back. Maybe you're watching it live. You're sitting in the room. You came with somebody and you went, yeah, my previous religious experience has, has been a really bad experience at a particular church, a particular type of church, with a specific pastor. Or, if none of those caught you, this one will, other Christians. And so you sit there and you go, well, my previous experience religious experience. If that's what it is, I don't want it. The encouragement for you this morning is that God can do something new. 
and he is not limited to the experience that you have had previously. So are you willing to give it to him and let him show you what new looks like? In Isaiah, towards the end of the book, we're told about a suffering servant king. A suffering servant king. Now, in antiquity, kings don't suffer. Okay? Um, they're not servants. In antiquity, if your king is suffering, if he becomes a servant, it's because he's being humiliated by an invading force. If he's suffering, it's because it's on the way to death. And if the king suffers and dies, you know what that means? That means the people are going to suffer and die. That's the story. But, but Isaiah, in this point in history, with that backdrop, says God's going to do something new, and it looks like this suffering servant king. And everybody was like, huh? They missed it. They couldn't see it because of these mindsets I'm telling you about. They couldn't see it. You spend all of Advent talking about the story of the baby come at a time in history where everybody's crying out for something new, for God to break through and work in this remarkable way. And then what happens? God does the something new. But because it didn't look the way they thought, they completely missed it. So instead, who, who sees it? The outsiders, the outcasts, the religious people didn't fit the mold, didn't fit the box, so they missed it. John describes this heartbreaking reality uh, when he writes his introduction to, to the gospel, to his story about Jesus. He says this in chapter 1, he says, The one who is true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. If this can be true of the people in Scripture, this has to be true of us. Do you see what God wants to do in your life in this next year? Are you open to his movement of his spirit in an area of life that he will make clear to you? And this matters. This really matters because look at the stakes. Verse 12, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. It was worth everything. And still, many people missed it. And still to this day, many people missed it. And as I just shared with you, I missed it. God wants to do something new in your life in this next year. And the question is, will you even be able to perceive it? Listen, I know what day it is. I know you've got parties to go to. I've got parties to go to. But here's the deal. If I can ask one thing of you. Over these next few days, could you just find a way to get alone, to get quiet, there might be wrapping paper on your floor. There might be some sort of goop from your children on the ceiling. But could you just get alone? That's the first thing. Could you just put your distractions away? We are plagued with distraction. Could you just get quiet? Could you just get alone? And could you pray a prayer that sounds something like this? King Jesus, the redemptive, the creative God, can you show me what you're trying to do in my life in this next year? I, I'm convinced he's already doing it. What we need to do is figure out if we can actually see it. Can we actually hear it?
That's what I'd ask for you over these next few days. Get alone, get undistracted, and ask God by his spirit to reveal what he's trying to do in your life in this next year. And if you can do that, if you get that far, then there's one more thing you need to do. You need to pray like crazy. When the something new is there and you see the something new and you know without a shadow of a doubt what it is, then you need to ask God for great courage to step into it and to do the hard thing because it is excruciating in lots of ways. I know. Let me pray for you. God, I am thrilled that you want to do new things in our lives. And we confess that probably at this point in, in the year, um, we're a little more open to this idea of something new. Or maybe a little bit more aware of it. And so we don't want to miss this chance. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move in the life of my friends here. That you would make really clear to them the something new you're calling them to. Would they have a great confidence in you? And would you give them the courage to step into it? And I pray for those who are here who, who this maybe is, is all new to them. What a gift. 2024 could be the year that they begin the most life-changing season of their lives in walking with you, Jesus. So would you give them the courage to step into that also? Thank you for all that you have done for us already. We praise your name and we ask for, for your guiding and leading in the year ahead. We pray these things in the powerful and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as is my way, if you are willing and able, would you stand and allow me to bless you as you go out into this fine day. So, my brothers and sisters in Christ, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Oh, that the Lord would turn his face towards you and give you his peace. God bless you. Thanks for having me back.